Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 264, March Gamer Madness, best Kickstarter campaign. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, it's our favorite time of year. It's all about the brackets, and it's all about the best Kickstarter campaigns this year. Oh, yeah. This is fun. Love doing this every year. Um, we kind of sequester ourselves sometime in January or February and try to figure out what the topic is going to be because we've now done like eight of these brackets. So it's not just, oh, it's the best fantasy or sci-fi. No, we've done all that. So we had to, we had to get creative. And uh, this was a pretty fun one. Is you, know, you threw this one out there. I was like, yeah, that's perfect. We have to do this. That's Kickstarter campaigns. Absolutely. And these are the best of all time. And, you know, all time is a relatively short amount of time. Most of these games have come out in the last three or four years. And the, the oldest campaign, I think, on the list was like 2015. So mm-hmm. just because of the amount of money we're talking about. And a couple of these campaigns, including one of them, when I built the list, was still running and still made the list because we, we basically used the total funding amount. Uh, of the campaigns on Kickstarter as the seeding. So the top 64 funded campaigns of all time. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the bracket and think that game should be higher, it's because the day that I built the bracket, that's where it was. So (laughs) it's kind of a fun moving target and uh, it should make for some interesting conversation. All right. So the top 64 based upon their backers will create the bracket for us this year. So starting off in the red bracket, Anthony, here we go. All right, our first matchup, what do you have? All right, the big behemoth, number one seed of all time by like 4 million bucks, Kingdom Death Monster, uh, specifically the 1.5 edition. That was the second Kickstarter. And this game is the game, right? This is the biggest, beefiest, just most impressive looking thing uh, that has ever come out of Kickstarter in terms of miniatures. And it's still going. If you've ever been to a convention, you've seen the lines that wrap all the way around the convention center, people trying to buy the new stuff. This giant black box that weighs like 40 pounds full of miniatures. This game has had a huge impact on the hobby because it started with just a guy making miniatures and now it's just this massive sprawling board game. Up against it, of course, and this is our number 64 seed, number 16 in the red bracket, is Dead Zone, the sci-fi miniatures board game from Mantic Games. Um, this one made 1.2 million last June, and it is kind of similar to Kingdom Death Monster because it's a bunch of miniatures on a board, right? Um, what makes this one interesting is it's a little more self-contained, comes with a lot more stuff, comes with terrain, and had a lot of different ways to kind of get into the game and engage with the content. The original Kickstarter, the one that got it on the list, was way back in like 2013, so I guess even broke my own rule in 2015. This one kind of snuck in because the most recent version was a little more recent. Um, but this one is kind of been around for a while. Mantic Games has done a lot of miniatures and it's an interesting matchup for that reason. Yeah, as you mentioned, impact is a big role here, especially when it comes to Kickstarter. It's not just about funding the game, but it's about marketing the game and getting the game out to fans. Kingdom Death Monster has created a lot of nightmares for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention the spectacle, as you mentioned, Anthony, of going to the conventions and seeing this very, very unassuming booth and then coming closer and closer and then seeing these horrifying 
miniatures inside. And then, as you mentioned, a you know line wrapped around it to pick those up at quite a bit of cost. Now, Dead Zone, you know, the sci-fi miniatures board game, not a bad addition to uh, Kickstarter here. But uh, I-, I think for me, especially since we mentioned all of the things that Kingdom Death Monster has done, and I don't think that Dead Zone even itself would even have that kind of impact without Kingdom Death Monster, uh, that's going to be my vote going forward. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so Kingdom Death Monster moves on to the next round. Next up, Anthony. Next up, we got Dark Souls, the board game, number two seed. Uh, This is based on the semi-classic, relatively recent series of games from From Software. And it comes from Steam Forged Games. And it is a giant box of miniatures, very similar to what we were just talking about with uh, Kingdom Death Monster. But this is a little bit more of a dedicated board game. It's long. It's hard. Some people call it tedious. Other people call it brilliant. Uh, it, it just has a lot of stuff in it, and it does evoke in some ways that feeling of Dark Souls, just the amount of content, how long it takes to just master what you're trying to do. On the flip side, we have Muffin Time, <laughs> because why wouldn't we have Muffin Time? Um, this is a very recent game. It's actually it's supposed to deliver to backers very soon. Um, just on Kickstarter last year, and it is a party game. It's the first party game on the list. Uh, a ridiculous card game where anything and can and probably will happen, as they say. It comes from Big Potato. They do a lot of party games, and it's it's all about just random weird stuff happening and just trying to manage all that from the three random cards that you draw uh, on your turn. So just think things that you would do while you're at a party drinking with your family holidays whatever it's one of those types of games with the funny cards so you know derogatory but it kind of fits into that bucket with a lot of other games that are going to be on this list and uh it to me it doesn't really stand out as having done anything new or different so for me i'm going to lean towards dark souls because it is kind of the the big implementation of a game based on an ip that at that level with the miniatures but you know teach their own these are very different games yeah, absolutely. I, I think Muffin Time is a really interesting addition, especially all the money that it was able to raise and having over 25,000 backers. As you mentioned, this is kind of a wacky card game where you're throwing cards down for no particular reason other than they're wacky. And, you know, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. It's more of a game experience, of course, but they really do lean into it quite heavy. Now, Dark Souls you know, for its own mark, if there's such a thing as far as impact is concerned, also does the same thing as Muffin Time in a way, because it is what it claims to be, which is one of the hardest unforgiving games ever created. And in fact, I ran into someone recently who mentioned this game. I was like, yeah, it's crazy hard to beat. He's like, yeah, I don't even bother playing it anymore. I'm like, yeah, okay. So, I mean, it's done (laughs) what it said it was going to do. So, yeah, Dark Souls gets my vote as well. All right, so that means Dark Souls moves on to the next round. Anthony, what's up? All right, number three on the list is Nemesis. This is the first game on the list coming from Awaken Realms, who is just one of the rock star developers on Kickstarter. This one is essentially alien the board game, if you look at it. And it really does evoke that in a lot of ways. Uh, this game has recently just burst into the consciousness of everybody. It's already in the top 100 on BGG, which is an amazing accomplishment for any Kickstarter. But recent reviews, Shut Up and Sit Down recently brought it back out, and people are just all about this. It's also almost impossible to find. So <laughs> it's it's one of those games that 
maybe it's having an impact. Maybe it's not. It's hard to tell because it it's more of in the conversation right now. And the number of people who can actually play it is relatively limited. Um, but it has been out for a couple of years. The other game is Teneris Adventures. Now, this one is a big, sprawling kind of campaign-based box of goodies. Reminds me a little bit of Myth, not necessarily in the mechanics, but just in like boxo stuff uh, kind of approach to gaming. It has PvP, it has co-op. Generally, the matches, if you're playing PvP, are relatively short, uh, less than an hour. Quest duration, one to two hours. They brag about how quickly you can set up the game, which is clearly targeted at another game we're going to talk about, Gloomhaven. 100 hours of content here as well. I don't know which of these I'd necessarily list higher in terms of impact. I think Nemesis is getting a lot more conversation. Uh, Tenaris got a lot of backers, but it does feel very reactive to Gloomhaven just in terms of the content and how it's presented. So I'm going to go with Nemesis just because of kind of the, uh, the impact it's already had on the list. Yeah, you know, the problem I have with Nemesis in particular is that because it's one of these semi-cooperative games, you rarely ever see at the table. It just doesn't play very well. And I know it's trying its hardest to be, you know, an independently IP distinct kind of Aliens game, but it doesn't really kind of reach that level so much with much of the gamers out there. But that being said... Most of these Kickstarter campaigns are about big, cool miniatures, and what really makes an impact is how things look. So I'm going to go agree with you, Anthony. Nemesis is going to move on to the next round. All right, Anthony, what's next up? All right, next on the list, we have Gloomhaven at number four. Yes, Gloomhaven, that Gloomhaven, uh, (laughs) what I was just talking about. And this one has actually had two Kickstarter campaigns. The first one made a, quote-unquote, measly $386,000. But the relaunch that happened about a year and a half later made $4 million. So that's what gets it up to number four on the list. It is, it's Gloomhaven. It's the number one game of all time on BGG. It is the game by which all other adventure and uh, kind of roll and dungeon crawl type of games are now built on. Like we just talked about with Tenaris Adventures. It is, I guarantee you that its sequel Frosthaven is going to jump into the top 10% of this list when it hits Kickstarter later this year. It is a behemoth, and there's not much else to say about it that we haven't already said. The other game that we're going up against is Trogdor, the board game. This is created by Homestar Runner. Yes, that Homestar Runner. For all you uh, millennials and older out there, uh, early internet edition of just fun, quick web comics, lots of fun. And just the fact that this came back and in a board game is just, to me... Just fantastic. When I saw this at Gen Con, and I didn't even know that it was coming because I'd missed the Kickstarter somehow originally, I was just like, whoa, I have to have this. I have to play this game. I wish it could say this has had as much of an impact as Gloomhaven, but it's just there's no argument on that one. Gloomhaven definitely has had the bigger impact on the hobby. What's this Gloomhaven you speak of? Uh-huh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a hard role for anything that comes up against Gloomhaven. Trogdor was a game that I was really excited to see out, you know, as a kind of Homestar Runner fan back in the day. And it's actually a game. I mean, it's not a highly complex game, but it's actually a game with a kind of webcomic IP attached to it. And that's something you can't say about most webcomic games. So I give it a lot of credit for that. But Gloomhaven has been an impactful game above and beyond its Kickstarter roots, and it's going to move on to the next round. 
All right, Anthony, what's next up? All right, another party game on here, Joking Hazard. This is from Cyanide and Happiness. It was on Kickstarter about five years ago, uh, shipped out to everybody in 2016, and it is the Cyanide and Happiness artwork that you all know and love, the little almost stick figures, and it involves playing cards to kind of finish a comic strip. So the cards that you play kind of chained together into a tableau to tell a story. And that's, you know, it's a party game. Of course, that's what you're trying to do. It's funny. People sit around, they make up funny stories. And for those people who really like Cyanide and Happiness, this is basically making your own comics out of that. So it's, I would say it's niche, but it made $3.2 million. So I don't know how niche that is. It goes up against, however, a game that while it made less money at $1.4 million, you probably have heard about a little more often, and that's Secret Hitler. So Secret Hitler takes the basics of social deduction that we see in games like Coup or um, The Resistance, and it just puts a theme on it that is more evocative. Think Cards Against Humanity. It's just kind of in that vein of things like we're going to make some people very uncomfortable and everybody else is going to have fun with that. And it works very well at that. This is a game that you see pretty frequently. It's a lot of people cited as their favorite of these uh, games. There was a story the other day about uh, congressional pages having me told to stop playing it because it made their Congress people they worked for uncomfortable. It has had a huge impact, I think. And again, I've personally, it's not for me, but in terms of impact on the hobby, I think I have to go with Secret Hitler because it is everywhere, like Cards Against Humanity, and has had you know fairly substantial impact on party games in general. Yeah, both of these are party games that have seen time at the table. Well, I'm not the biggest uh, party game fan. I have gotten a chance to play Choking Hazard. Uh, as you mentioned, Secret Hitler is not necessarily my cup of tea, but I know that it's been played a lot of times in a lot of places. As you mentioned, just because of the controversial theme more than the game itself, it definitely has had a bit of a racket around the game night. So, yes, Secret Hitler moves on to the next round. Next up, Anthony. All right, next up, we got Mythic Battles Pantheon. This is from Monolith, uh, who did Conan and um, uh, Batman Gotham City, which we'll get to later. And it is all about, you would guess it, uh, mythic battles between various gods from uh, different pantheons. And like all their games, there are 30-some-odd boxes of stuff and big old miniatures and a fairly decent core game system around which you play. I don't think this one's had quite as much impact or been as vocal with people um, who uh, compared to some of their other games, but it has done very, very well for them. The other game, however, uh, Ghostbusters, the board game uh, from Cryptozoic is, well, it's everything you'd expect from Ghostbusters, the board game. It is, it uses the cartoon artwork from, you know, that not quite the same as what you saw in the nineties, but kind of similar from the new Ghostbusters and has all the classic Ghostbusters characters and ghosts and monsters in there. Is the game very good? Well, that's a different question. Not all these games are good, but <laughs> it is certainly one that I've seen more places. I don't know which of these I'd necessarily put higher for me in terms of impact on the hobby. I feel like Ghostbusters did okay, but not amazing. Um, it was probably not a huge success for Cryptozoic. Uh, Mythic Battles has done well to two editions, but again, not their biggest game as well. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Ghostbusters just because of theme, but I think it's pretty close for me. Yeah, Mythic Battles, at least in its board game version, was something that, as you mentioned, it, it had some impact. It, it had a lore to it. 
And they tried really hard to kind of push this new miniatures game out there. It's a little unfair when a game has to come up against an IP game, especially something as beloved as Ghostbusters. And again, it's one of those situations where, let's be honest, it's, it's a bunch of plastic in a box with a kind of interesting, okay, kind of tactical game. But being the fact that it actually delivered what it promised and actually had the cartoon slash comic book characters that everyone really wanted to have, I'm going to go with Ghostbusters. It just delivers a lot more of what it claims it's to deliver. Next up, Anthony, what do we have? We got number seven, Cthulhu, Death May Die from Simon, which somehow was our first Simon game on the list. I'm not sure how that happened. And Dice Throne Adventures, which is kind of a, I guess, sequel to Dice Throne, which was kind of like a King of Tokyo smash-up style card game with really, really cool artwork. But mechanically, it was fairly simple. Um, this is more of a cooperative and solo campaign. They say it's inspired by Diablo. So you're like, you're exploring, you're getting gold, treasures, upgrades, minions, all that stuff. Um, it's still a card game. And, it, you know, they're doing the season-based thing. So this is the first season of that. Uh, Cthulhu Death May Die, of course, is a big, giant box of Cthulhu stuff. Eric Lang-style, just giant miniatures on a board. He actually worked with Rob Davio on this. And I expected something a lot more out of it mechanically, although some people have talked to you really like this compared to other, like, ex dungeon explorer type of games. But man, I don't know about Cthulhu. <laughs> just Elder Scrolls stuff, just, it, it hurts me. And I have some of it already, so... As much as I want this one to have had a bigger impact, I don't think either one of these necessarily. And Dice Throne has kind of come out of nowhere a little bit and has, you know, built an IP for itself. So I'm going to go with Dice Throne. I think Cthulhu Death May Die will always be known for its giant, yeah. you know, toddler-sized Cthulhu. But as far as the game itself is concerned, it's kind of evaporated. And to be fair... There's so much Cthulhu out there in the world. It's really weird to be saying this, that you actually have to have a good game now. You just can't throw the IP on just anything. And what Simon did here was create some really imaginative, super grotesque miniatures. And again, giant Cthulhu miniature will always be a thing in the lores of board game history. But, you know, Dice Throne came out and I was like, oh, it's another one of those games. It's another one of those really nicely illustrated games with practically no gameplay. And I heard, well, you know, it's kind of like King of Tokyo. And I was like, oh, I already got King of Tokyo. But the production is always top notch. The fan base is huge for this game. And it's had multiple, multiple expansions to it. And each one seems to get better than the rest. So Dice Throne Adventures Season 1. Uh, yeah, you're moving on to the next round. All right, Anthony, what do we have up for our final matchup in the bracket? All right, we're going to move on to Jasco Games, which makes a whole bunch of questionable stuff. So it's an interesting one here. But they did make Street Fighter the Miniatures game. Uh, this was funded, oh, about two years ago or so for just over two million bucks. And mechanically, honestly, it looks a little bit like Crossmaster, just a bunch of dudes on a big grid with some 3D trees. But the miniatures in this game, oh my gosh, <laughs> like that alone almost made me back this. Um, just beautiful, fantastic Street Fighter miniatures of all the main characters that you know and love. Um, Gameplay-wise, not a whole ton to speak of here. It's, it, it is just one of those games. But the people who bought it, who play it, they love it. So very intrigued to, to get a little more time with that. 
the other game we had on here is not one that's actually released yet. So this is a little bit, this is the first one of these where we have to talk about it in the context of not having come out yet. And that is Divinity Original Sin, the board game. So this is coming from Lynn Vander Studios, uh, working with Larian Studios, who made the video game. And if you don't know Larian Studios yet, you will, because they're making the new Baldur's Gate game, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, which you know, 20 years later, we're getting a new Baldur's Gate <laughs> um, which comes out this summer. So you should be excited about that if you're a, a big D&D fan. So they know their stuff. They know RPGs. They know just that kind of content, which is why this game looks a little weird because it doesn't actually have a board or miniatures or anything like that. It's cards and dice and just this big weird circle thing in the middle. <laughs> but people love their Divinity Original Sin, so it made a ton of money. I don't know. I don't actually, this one is probably one of the harder matchups for me. I, Street Fighter, I haven't seen anywhere and I have not played or had a chance to even gaze upon it. Uh, Divinity Original Sin is so recent, it's hard to say that uh, it's really had a ton of impact yet, um, although it did make a lot of money and a big, big IP. So I'm going to lean for Street Fighter uh, just because it's an existing IP and the game did come out. But Divinity Original Sin, if the game is good, um, could be a big one. You know, Jasko's had a very, very problematic history, especially on Kickstarter and as far as the game's concerned, like you said, this is a generic kind of tactical game. But considering the fact that the miniatures were so well done, I think that at this point, we have to give it to Street Fighter, the miniatures game, just because Divinity just seems to be another generic high fantasy game. And it doesn't really provide much of anything as far as what the gameplay would be like in the campaign. And in the end, that's what we're we're talking about here is the best campaigns of all time. And this campaign just comes a little short. I'm sure that once everything comes out, like you mentioned with the companies and the video games and all that other kind of stuff, and they draw a little more attention to themselves, that's fine. But as far as a campaign goes, uh, this is problematic. And Street Fighter, again, while the company's problematic, the miniatures are what delivers and that's what uh we're looking at here so street fighter moves on to the next round and that's the end of our red bracket all right now we're on to our green bracket what do you have up for us anthony all right number one exploding kittens this is do you remember when this came out this was like 2015 on kickstarter this thing made eight million bucks <laughs> people were losing their minds it's it's obviously going to be this one because exploding kittens was like the big first party game that showed that you could make a lot of money on here it's on Target shelves, it's on Walmart shelves, you can get it anywhere. Everybody's heard of this game. People who don't play board games have heard of this game. It's it's just, it's a very simple nothing of a game, but people love it, right? The game it's up against, The World of Smog, Rise of Moloch, uh, which is a Simon game, which is actually based on an earlier Smog game. They're trying to build their own little IP around this world. It was just, uh, you know, kind of came and went and people backed it because it was Simon back in the heyday of Simon in 2017. And that was about it. You get a whole bunch of miniatures and then you forget about the game. So <laughs> and it's not to be mean. If you love this game, that's fantastic. I haven't had a chance to personally play it, but in terms of impact, exploding kittens by a mile. You know, I was really disappointed here because when I had played the first game in that whole smog, <laughs> you know, series, I was like, Oh, this is going to be huge. This is really great. Steampunk is getting a solid board game. It's It's got some Cthulhu-esque elements to it. And the first game was just kind of like an interesting puzzle game, but here they really played it out. And it had some really interesting kind of like 
you know, overclock mechanics and, you know, it really just had everything that you pretty much wanted from that kind of genre together, but it never saw table time. As far as I can tell any game group I've ever been to any convention I've ever been to, I have yet to see this game anywhere. Whereas exploding kittens, unfortunately I've seen everywhere. And I mean, everywhere to the fact that I've actually played exploding kittens. So <laughs> the world is coming to an end and it's probably going to be because of exploding kittens. So that's going to move on to the next round. All right, Anthony, what's up next? All right. So in this case, and this has happened a couple times on the list, I bundled a bunch of stuff together because there were otherwise we would have had nine zombicides on the list. Uh, so number two is zombicide. And that includes all of the zombicide campaigns because all of them made millions of dollars. Like the most recent one, zombicide 2.0 made 3.4 million. I think green horde might've been the peak of that. And it was like around four or something, but let's just say zombies make money. That hasn't changed. They continue to make money. And this is one of the most successful miniatures, big box kind of sandboxy types games ever just period. Right. It's huge. People love this game in all its many forms. In fact, I actually have black plague, and I really like it, and I've kept it. It's it's on my shelf. So, and I don't even like zombies. So, Zombie Side has had a huge impact on the hobby. The second game here, the matchup, uh, the number fifteen is Super Dungeon Legends, and Super Dungeon Legends is a little more infamous than it is famous. This is a game that kind of it, the company basically ran into financial trouble, and this is. Obviously, me glossing over a lot of stuff. So if you've backed this and there's a lot more detail here, just know that we understand that this was a huge pain in the butt and it just has gone on for so long. But basically, the company's had issues getting this produced and there's a lot of negative feedback. If you go to BGG, the reviews are just brutal. It's from Soda Pop Miniatures, who back in the day made Super Dungeon Explorer, which is a good game. Uh, but this is kind of the, the point at which they overextended themselves. And they made a bunch of money, but the game has been just a, a boondoggle the whole way so obviously zoom zombicide wins this one but it's interesting to look at the games that made a bunch of money but completely failed at the same time yeah i think you're right on this i mean super dungeon explorer when it came out that was pretty huge i think you actually had to put the miniatures together which yeah. was an issue <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously later down the road i actually got a chance to play that game and really did enjoy it very much and I was really honestly pretty shocked about the whole thing. Whereas Zombicide, even though I got a chance to play that, and you mentioned the Green Horde, that was still a game that just, it kind of surfed on its, I guess, IPs that it could kind of rip off mm. without having to pay the cost there. So, yeah, I guess if it wasn't for the fact that you know the super dungeon series was bogged down by all of its financial problems and the ways it treated its backer i would push it for the next round but zombicide for all of its unlimited number of miniatures simon always has done a great job with it and it's always come out so i'm gonna go with zombicide then all right anthony what's next up all right number uh, three on the list in the green bracket is rising sun from simon the second in the trilogy of uh kind of uh, mythology-based games from Eric Lang. And a game a little bit more in line with like a diplomacy-style approach to managing the board and area control. It's, it's not necessarily about where you are, but how you're there than like a Blood Rage where you're just trying to blow each other up as much as possible. On the flip side of that, we have Shadows of Brimstone, 
which has become kind of a whole IP on its own and is holding up Flying Frog Productions. By the way, a company that has done fantastic work for decades now across a lot of games. And this is like the first one that they've really gotten a lot of attention for. They've done several, several different campaigns for this. There's many different versions of this game, uh, different expansions, different levels. They have like Forbidden Fortress. We have Adventures. Uh, so again, this is kind of lumping them all together. And I, I'm i going to be a little uh, kind of off the cuff here, but I feel like Shadows of Brimstone, for those people who have played it and for like the community that it's built, has had a bigger impact because it is like if you see their booth at any convention, there are people there constantly and there's huge, huge displays, hundreds of different miniature options. People, this is a lifestyle game for some people and I've played it and the person who owns it, it's a lifestyle game for him. Uh, Rising Sun is a very good game. Um, it's not my favorite of Eric Lang's games, but it's very good. But it's it's one of those like one and done big Simon splashes of a campaign and it made a ton of money, but I'm going to go with Shadows of Brimstone on this one. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I definitely agree with you about Shadows of Brimstone. You know, if you go to any of the conventions and you go to Flying Frog Games, this game and all of its iterations is all over the place. And they have, I would say, the most dedicated following that you have never heard about, but they are super, super dedicated. I mean, I think the same group of people who comes to the convention just for them just kind of like camps out around their booth area and just doesn't leave for the whole convention. And that says a lot about their games. Obviously, Rising Sun, crazy amounts of money, uh, uh, wonderful game. And, and as you mentioned before, Anthony, about the diplomacy element, I thought this was going to kind of bog down the game, but it actually moves pretty smoothly. And for me, because the miniatures were so outrageous, even more outrageous than Blood Rage, the paint jobs that came out here, this really did show off Simon's miniatures ability more than I think any other game they've ever done. So I'm going to go with Rising Sun. So Anthony, that leaves it up to our listeners. What did they have to say? Yeah, I would I would hope that a lot of them would be Shadows of Brimstone fans, but unfortunately they are not. <laughs> or at least not as much as Rising Sun. Rising Sun definitely got way more votes on this one. Well, so Rising Sun moves on to the next round. What's up, Anthony? All right, next we have another Simon game. Uh, it's very much a Simon bracket, apparently. Massive Darkness. Uh, Massive Darkness was the kind of traditional, almost D&D-style fantasy take on the Zombicide system. And to the point where it had crossover cards where you could use Massive Darkness characters in Zombicide and, and vice versa, right? Big, massive, huge, made $3.5 million, dozens of miniatures, all the IP stuff. You know, same thing we said about Zombicide, basically. It's, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> so uh, nothing super exciting or different there. On the flip side, we have at number 13, Sandy Peterson's Cthulhu Wars. Now, Cthulhu Wars has had several different Kickstarters. Uh, the original one made $1.4 but there's a, several others that have come out and made a bunch of money. And this thing was on Kickstarter way, way back in the day. Like when we got into the hobby, I think we remember, I remember talking about this on the podcast or maybe... It had just run before the podcast even started because it was like 2013. But the idea here is you have a massive board that takes up just multiple tables and miniatures that are the size of your forearm because they represent all these elder gods. And the game is extremely expensive. It takes up a ton of space. You have all these expansions that cost even more money. But from all 
you know, accounts, it's actually a very good game. Not one I've had a chance to play, unfortunately. But it's become this cult classic. And there aren't a lot of cult classics in board gaming. There's like hidden gems, but cult classics that a lot of people play, but not many people talk about. This is one of them to the point where I honestly think this has had a bigger impact than Massive Darkness, which just kind of just hit and then dropped and people, I don't know, you play it or you've sold it. It just didn't really have a huge impact because it was just Zombicide with fantasy stuff. So I'm going to go with Cthulhu Wars. You know, it's really hard here because you mentioned these these are both games full of pink box miniatures. Obviously, one's a dungeon crawl with Massive Darkness and one is a take over the world kind of situation with Cthulhu Wars. And as we mentioned earlier, we've seen so many different Cthulhu games out there that it's really hard for any one particular game to stand out. I do believe Massive Darkness is a better game. I've played both. I even played Cthulhu Wars. But you know what? You did win me over with the argument that in this day and age, there aren't many games that stand out and are cult classics, like literally a cult classic. So I'm going to go with Cthulhu Wars because there's very few, if no game like it out there. And uh, it certainly has had an impact out there. All right, Anthony, what's up next? Next up, we have another one of these ridiculous matchups. And I'm just absolutely ridiculous. I'm just going to say the names and then I'm going to let you tell me what you think. Because personally, I don't know. (laughs) It's Bears versus Babies, which is the card game from Exploding Kittens. And Hate. From Simon, which we've talked about at length on this podcast. What do you think? You know, what's really funny here is when Hate came out, you and I were really concerned about it because there were so many things about the game that we really did hate and not necessarily in a good way. And we were really worried that this game was going to get out there and really put a bad name out for board gamers and board games And there really wasn't anything special to the game other than its provocative nature and some of the actions you could take. And the game went out and maybe there was one article somewhere that someone mentioned it and then no one ever talked about it again. On the other hand, Bears versus Babies, which is an incredibly crazy, silly, stupid game, has had a huge impact, especially during the conventions. You know, the creators of Exploding Kittens knows what they're doing, and the fact that they were able to come out yet again with an even crazier game and make a ridiculous amount of money on something as crazy, if not more crazy, and still get gameplay and game time out there is literally insane. So Bears and Babies, for its fantastical impact out there, they must have something going on, and I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, that's going to be my uh, my vote there. First off, the only time I've seen Hate is on the shelf at my local store because they backed it as a vendor, as a retailer, and nobody bought it forever. It just sat up there forever. And I'm just like, every time I saw it, I'm like, please, someone just buy it to get it off the shelf. I don't want it here. Like, I like it here. The game sucks. Bears versus Babies, I'm probably never going to play this either, but man, that vending machine is awesome. <laughs> So I'm with you. Let's go with that. Next up, Anthony. All right. Number six, The Binding of Isaac Four Souls. Another IP-based card game uh, based on a video game. This is a indie game uh, that has a huge following. I personally have not played it. I think the theme just kind of turns me off a little bit. It's like a 
a fetus running around. It's like a twin stick shooter type of thing. A lot of people love this game. Um, the game, it's the board game itself. The card game is a very simple card based game in which you're going up against these different monsters. Uh, it doesn't have the highest ratings in the world. Haven't really seen it around. I mean, I've seen it at the local store, but it doesn't seem to be selling off the shelves. It's just the people who backed it really like the IP. The other one is one that just finished on Kickstarter, The Great Wall. And it is from Awaken Realms, uh, made 1.5 million pounds on there. And it's it's a Euro, which is strange because they do a lot of miniatures-based games. And you can get it with the miniatures. Dozens and dozens and dozens of miniatures. The core box comes with like 300 or something. But you can also opt to get the, uh, the meeples instead, which full transparency that's what i did because the game looks good and i was interested in it so i packed it with the meeples this is not the first game that's done this but i think it's the highest profile game that's done this where you can get the huge mega box with all the good stuff and the big miniatures and all the cool things or you can get the smaller version that just has the meeples just the basic wooden stuff and for that reason alone i'm going to go with this one because i want that in all of these anything that's a euro that could have meeples instead of miniatures, I want that. So um, good on you, Awaken Realms, for giving me a pledge level that was manageable and allowed me to back the game because it looked good because I just didn't want all those miniatures. One of the biggest challenges for Kickstarter is obviously you want to have something that's evocative. You want to have some miniatures that look great or have some fantastic artwork, no matter if it's super wacky or super beautiful. And Great Wall Board Game does something, as you mentioned, that's really interesting and unique, which is fantastic miniatures, but confident enough in its board game that you could just pick up the meeples, which are also very good. But what I've heard about this game over and over again is it's actually a very good game. Whereas The Binding of Isaac for Souls is a throwaway of throwaway kind of things. Never seen it out, never seen it anywhere, never heard anyone talk about it. Yeah, Great Wall Board Game is my vote. Next up, Anthony. Lords of Hellas at number seven, uh, another Awakened Realms game. This is kind of a, uh, let's take Greek myth and pretend that it happened in a weird quasi-future past where they all have crazy technology. And I personally not have not had a chance to play this game. I know you have, so I'll let you talk about it more. The other game, however, is Root which is one of my favorite games of all time. It's in my top 50. And while the Kickstarter in particular that got on the list was the Underworld expansion, the original was also on Kickstarter and made a fair bit of money. So for me, this is easy. It's Root because this game has opened up a whole world of war games and asymmetrical games to people who would not normally play them. Way, 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 way beyond what Vast did. And I think it deserves a spot here because this is one of my favorite Kickstarters of all time. I mean, we were just talking about the fact that Kickstarter needs something big. And here we have it. Lords of Hellas kind of exploded on the scene with these gigantic buildable miniatures of all of these, I, I, I guess you call like cyber, you know, Greek gods. And when it came out, I remember looking at this thing forever because it was so interesting and so attractive as, as far as the game's concerned. And it seemed to have pretty decent gameplay to it, but it just seemed to be a okay kind of game with some extraordinary miniatures. Whereas Root 
kind of matches up really nicely with this because really great artwork, but the opposite. It is super cartoony, super kind of like, not even kind of like, it's cartoony, but it's a very basic kind of cartoony, especially with the meeples that come in this game that are very much just straightforward kind of cutouts with just a little bit of the eyes and nose and and such. And somehow Root <laughs> has these iconic meeples that have made their way everywhere. In fact, recently on, on Facebook, people were saying that there were other people kind of stealing their IP and using a lot of their images in their artwork or clothing and such. And it's just like, wow. You know, you would think that Lords of Hellas would be the one where everyone would be wearing shirts like that and just having tremendous IPs that they would just be copying over and over again. And this game came out and it's fine. And it has a lot of things to like about it. But, you know, it, if it didn't run into Root, <laughs> yeah. I think it would go a lot further. But, uh, yeah, Root has been a phenomenon in of itself in a way I think that nobody expected. So Root is going to move on to the next round. Anthony, what do we have up last? All right, number eight, Dinosaur Island, specifically Back from Extinction with the Totally Liquid expansion and the Dulasaur two-player game. The original Kickstarter for this game... Uh, did okay. I mean, it made it. It made a decent amount of money, but the second one made over two million bucks, putting it in the top half of this list. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is the other game. Uh, this is based again on a video game, but this time around from Steamforged, the people who did Dark Souls, made one point three nine million pounds. Um, has not published yet, though. So again, we have another big box, multiple additional boxes with miniatures. This is based on a video game that I have played, and I really like the video game a lot because the aesthetic is so just interesting and different. You have like dinosaurs and all these different creatures, but they're all made out of machinery. And the main characters are all really well designed. And this very strong female character who just goes through the world and does all these different missions. And if it does all that in the board game, it's going to be really good. It's not out yet, though, and it's based on an IP. So I'm going to go with Dinosaur Island because it kind of blew open what you can do with a Euro, uh, just a basic medium weight Euro on Kickstarter. And it did it in a 90s cool Jurassic Parky kind of way. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, impact is really what's key here. And Dinosaur Island, with its retro 80s, 90s kind of artwork here seemed like something that was going to sink it from the very beginning and it provided really fantastic gameplay that everyone was able to get to the table and especially with this version of it and a totally liquid expansion it really opened the game up a lot and it was something that everyone was jumping on board i picked it up for sure after playing it the miniatures are great the cubes are great the slap bracelets is fantastic the coins are ridiculously heavy. The mm. price was fairly good for it. And here's the thing. Horizon Zero Dawn, again, another box of miniatures on some plain boards here. Again, I'm sure it's fine, but I've yet to hear anyone mention anything about it whatsoever. And people can't stop talking about Dinosaur Island. So Dinosaur Island's my vote, and Dinosaur Island moves on. And that's the end of our green bracket, Anthony. All right, now on to our blue bracket. Anthony, what do you have up first? First, number one, Seventh Continent. Uh, specifically, the second uh, Kickstarter for what goes up must come down. 
This one raised over $7 million about three years ago. And this is one of those games that people who love it absolutely love it. It is an open card-based adventure game that is brutally difficult and has thousands of minutes of gameplay available. Like they advertise it as one to four players, 1,000 plus minutes. It takes that long to play. Has like a really cool saving system. And it's really just kind of, along with Gloomhaven, that kind of came out at the same time, reinvigorated not just adventure gaming, but solo gaming, because this game plays really well if you're playing solo. Um, up against it is Solomon Kane. This was, a, again, another Mythic Games release. Uh, it funded about two years ago in July of 2018 and follows Solomon Kane, um, based on the stories of Robert E. Howard. It is one of those big open box, one to five player, cooperative, competitive, solo mode type of games, three to four hours per gameplay. Haven't really seen or heard anything of this since it backed. And I honestly just, I feel like it's probably for good reason. The people who liked it backed it and the rest of us did not. <laughs> Whereas the seventh continent is one of those games that everybody kind of dove back into after the fact. So I'm going to go with seven continent. It's really hard to even find anything that could match up to seven continent. I think even recently they kind of try to put out a retail version of it. That was selling, I think, $59, which is incredibly small considering the amounts of content and all of the extra expansions. And even that was sold out. I think Seven Continent really established itself, as you mentioned, Anthony, with all of the gameplay time, but also the solo element that comes into this game where even I, as a non-solo gamer, did seriously consider backing this game because of its easy way to kind of pop it out, play it, and put it back in the box. Whereas Selman Kane, again, excellent IP and some really interesting artwork and miniatures, has never seen table time, has never gotten out there, and just kind of came and went without a without a blip here. So I'm going to go with Seven Continent. All right, next up, Anthony, what do you have for us? Number two, Etherfields. This is a yet another game from Awaken Realms, uh, designed by uh, Michael Orak, who did the This War of Mine, Nourishing of Hex, The Edge Downfall, a bunch of big Kickstarter games. And this is a big box campaign game, again, because it's what they do, with just ridiculous, crazy-looking miniatures. And it's uh, one to four players, 50-plus hours of campaign in the base box. It kind of takes that quick save idea from Seventh Continent, which we just talked about, and it, it does it in a lot of interesting new ways. So this game has not yet shipped to backers. It is on its way very soon. It was a couple years ago, and it's basically f it's aiming to come out soon. Like, we're talking about this in March. They said March. It's coming soon. The other game on the list, <laughs> Dawn of Madness from Dimension Games, and this is uh, crazy looking miniatures because that's what half of Kickstarter is these days. It has a board, it has cards. It's like a legitimate board game, but the miniatures themselves look something along the lines of what you'd see in a Kingdom Death Monster. Now, of course, the original game came with like standees and cards. But if you upgrade to the Super Mega Ultra Edition, which is where all the money comes in, you get the just a crazy looking monstrosities out of your nightmares, which a lot of people love. So I don't know gameplay wise. I haven't heard a lot about this game. Uh, it did make $1.21 million back in December of last year. So again, has not shipped either. So both of these games haven't shipped yet. 
I feel like any Awakened Realms game is going to come out on top on this one for Etherfields. This is a game I almost backed myself, whereas Dawn of Madness I have not heard of. So uh, I'm going to go with Etherfields. Yeah, same here. Dawn of Madness was all about the standees. And let me be honest, that just never works out. I mean, it really has some provocative artwork. And the miniatures are, as you mentioned, gory and supernatural twisted. And that's about it. Whereas Etherfields, as you mentioned, was a campaign that even I really seriously considered backing. The artwork here is is phenomenal. The miniatures are beyond belief. And this is one of the very few games that I could actually see standing up to Kingdom Death Monster just for its production value alone. So Etherfields, you're moving on to the next round. All right, Anthony, what's next up? All right, Return to Dark Tower. This was... The big mega ultra <laughs> uh, Kickstarter campaign that launched, basically launched the year of 2020. So this was only like two months ago that this thing was up, but it brings back Dark Tower. We've talked about this before. It is this big, epic, electronic game experience from the 1980s. It's been completely updated by Rob Davio and team. Very interested to see how it works, but it is very expensive. So I personally did not jump in on this, but hopefully someone I know did. Uh, Black Rose Wars is another Kickstarter game that just didn't really rise above and kind of outside of its core audience. Uh, I haven't heard a lot about this game. The company itself that launched it, they don't have any like mega hits on their hands, but this game has made over a million bucks on Kickstarter. And uh, I know a lot of people are very excited about it uh, in terms of theme. And obviously it's very miniatures based because it's another one of those big box miniatures games. I think Return to Dark Tower obviously is going to have a bigger impact. It's just because it's restoration games, because it's Dark Tower, because it's Rob Daviau, this is this game's going to be around for a while, and I look forward to seeing how it impacts things and what other games come out of it. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. That other games similar to it, maybe some of those also come back. I think the same thing kind of plays out here. Black Rose Wars had some interesting stuff to it and some actually decent gameplay, but as you mentioned. There are so many games out there that's like this that it didn't even register at all for me. Return to Dark Tower is something that I looked at for a very long time. Dark Tower was something I played as a kid. And to have this come back out was something I was interested in. And it raised a ridiculous amount of money. The production here is fantastic. The gameplay, as you mentioned, hopefully is upgraded from its great designers that jumped in here and kind of added more to the game. And I guess if you're going to match up these two games, they both have some really great miniatures, but Dark Tower obviously stands above and beyond with its Dark Tower. All right, Anthony, what's up next? Number four, Trial by Trolley. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's all about the trolley problem, which made famous by the good place. Well, not made famous by the good place. Made recognizable to all of us who don't read books. By the good place um, uh, from Cyanide and Happiness. And that's up against Terraforming Mars Turmoil. Specifically Turmoil because this is the only thing that has gone on Kickstarter for Terraforming Mars. Um, this is an expansion. Not a great expansion. Not a horrible expansion in my opinion, although one of us disagrees. Uh, but it did also come with very, very much needed upgrades to the player boards. So uh, I don't really know which of these is more influential we have a mediocre to bad expansion plus uh player boards 
versus a yet another party game that while good is still just another party game what do you think <laughs> well i feel like both of these are trial by trolley because yeah, it's exactly like... it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> it's and i'm not sure which way to kind of throw the lever i actually want to throw the lever on both of them because <laughs> look here's the thing trial by trolley is not trying to be anything that it's claiming to be right it, it's it is what it is and it does what it does and we played it and for what it is it's fine i mean that's what cyanide and happiness is all about terraforming mars i hold to a higher standard and turmoil was not at all what it should have been especially since it was on kickstarter so therefore cost a lot more money than otherwise but you do as you mentioned anthony you do get the five dual layer player boards <sighs> now it's hard to say because many people out there were hoping for the expansion to be good and probably have some sort of system or overlay for their terraforming mars boards and i'm really not sure if i can compliment or give a big thumbs up to a expansion because the base game did something so terrible man this is the trolley problem <laughs> <laughs> no as far as impact is concerned and just trying to be as objective as possible, I'm going to say trial by trolley just because there's been so many terraforming Mars expansions out there that this one didn't seem to raise the stakes, so to speak. Whereas trial by trolley did raise $3.5 million and the idea of having to make that decision is a little eensy bincy tighter and more in depth than the typical, you know, cards against humanity. I'm going to go with you. The trial by trial may be uncomfortable at times, but it was at least interesting. It made, had interesting ideas. I like turmoil. I don't love it. I certainly don't need it uh, with all my stuff other than, you know, acquisition disorder. But it was 34 bucks for a mediocre expansion that I don't need to have in my game and five player boards that I also didn't need to have because I've already upgraded them. Yeah. And we are currently waiting for them to finally put all the other stuff on Kickstarter so we can get decent art and decent components to this game that's been out for almost four years. So while I love Terraforming Mars and I don't mind this expansion and I don't even really mind how much I spent on it, uh, it's just almost felt like a little bit of a slap in the face. It's just like, just give us what we want already. So I'm going to go with you on trial by trolley. Well, you'll be happy to rebuy this later. <laughs> I will it's certainly be... do it. Yes. <laughs> All right, Anthony, what's up next? All right. You mentioned this one a few weeks ago, here to slay. This one made 3 million bucks. Whew, that's a lot of money for this little card game it is from the makers of unstable unicorns which we'll talk about later um back just a couple months ago and it's up against the others seven sins this is from simon made 1.4 million dollars um it was an eric lane game and it was a little bit underrated i feel like a lot of people overlooked it including myself because of the theme and the artwork and just kind of a general look and feel of it Plus, kind of the distribution model where they held out all the different sins from the game, uh, unless you backed all the extra stuff, and then you couldn't get it if you didn't buy it out of retail. Game, though, having played it, not so bad. Two very interesting takes on 
things that can be on Kickstarter. We have kind of like a replay of a, a, a different spin on a familiar mechanic or a familiar theme that we have. And then we have the others, which I feel like Simon thought would be bigger than it was. And it just kind of faded away. So personally, probably here to slay is going to have a bigger impact overall. Uh, kind of the role-playing elements, especially with what I heard from you describing it. The others, as much as it seemed like it would have an impact, kind of faded away pretty quickly. I remember the others had a negative impact because it had very little gameplay into it. Like when you looked at the campaign, you were like, oh, this is a lot of stuff. But the lot of stuff and all the other sins came at additional buys. And I think this was the first Simon game that there was really a big pushback by the community that said, come on, guys, like you're just this is just a little too, too. This is a little you were cutting the edges a little too much here. Uh, whereas here to slay does have that whole unstable unicorn background, but actually has a decent game and the artwork is adorable. So, yeah, here to slay. Uh, it's going to kick you know, the others out here because just the other side just had a really, really bad negative vibe to it. All right, Anthony, what's up next? All right. Next up on the list, we have Battletech Clan Invasion, uh, which was on Kickstarter back in August, 2019. Uh, this is kind of bringing Battletech back into the uh, board gaming realm. I mean, it's not dead necessarily, but we haven't seen a ton of Battletech content in recent years. And this is a big Kickstarter uh, not too long ago, so people are still waiting on this one. Uh, then we had Sentinels of the Multiverse, Oblivion. And I have to say it like that because they have the weird A in the middle. Um, <laughs> this is from Greater Than Games, and this was supposed to be the end of the Sentinels of the Multiverse saga. This kind of recaptured all the content, ended everything. There was an option here to get like all the stuff packaged together. This thing ran really long. I know the Kickstarter was back in uh 2016 and it took a little bit of extra time to get this one published and out to everybody um to the point where like the most recent update is as recently as a year ago so i honestly not a huge fan of either of these games haven't played battletech and have played sentinels of multiverse didn't really love either the battletech campaign didn't make a huge impact on me although i know a lot of people were excited that it was coming back and there's a lot of new options and ways to buy the miniatures um there was a couple issues with that as well Sentinels and Multiverse, everybody was very, very, very excited about because of bringing it to a close, but it took a lot longer to deliver than it should have. And I think the final quality of this expansion, some people found lacking. Um, but again, I'm speaking kind of out of turn because I'm not in the Sentinels of the Multiverse kind of guy. So uh, I guess I'm going to go with Sentinels because it's it's utilizing a like an existing IP and system and it's ending it and it's a whole like saga type of thing. Uh, endgame type of, of approach to a Kickstarter. But that's, again, coming from a place of, I have not played these. I do not know. <laughs> so I'm a fan of both of these. And as you mentioned, they do have some hits and misses. They do have their problematic issues with their campaign, especially their release dates. Battletech doesn't raise the bar for Battletech. Battletech has always had a consistent quality to it where the Sentinels of the Multiverse version here is going out of its way to make the game better. 
new artwork, new cards, and as you mentioned, a final wrap up to the series, which was a surprising, you know, move on their part. This this had been a, you know, a big game and had a solid impact. I mean, I think for you and I over the years, this had stood at the test of time as far as superhero games were concerned. Only recently has it seriously been challenged. And having everything in a perfect set with a perfect box with the best cards and the best quality, which it should have done years ago and didn't, but now it did. So I'm going to go with Sentinels of the Multiverse here. It just does something right finally. Uh, that's what you can't say for uh, Battletech. All right, Anthony, what's up next? Next up, we got number seven, Time of Legends, Joan of Arc. This is another Mythic Games creation, and... The original Kickstarter made over 2 million bucks, had dozens and dozens of miniatures, 238 in the base box, plus a whole bunch of extra stuff like the Beast, which is this giant dragon-like creature. Uh, We had like Mehmed, which is like a genie type of thing, Cockatrice. So like all these cool like fantasy type uh, creatures, plus there's like hundreds of troops and peasants and different knights and stuff. Big, huge, epic miniatures war game with like fantasy elements mixed in. And there's been a bit of controversy with this one. They tried to launch a 1.5 version. There was a copyright claim by the original designer who claims he wasn't paid appropriately. I'm not going to get into all the nuts and bolts of that, but let's just say this one's gotten a little messy. This game itself looks really good and interesting, having had a chance to kind of take a look at it at various conventions. And again, back like three years ago. So people have this original game, but like new updates and versions of it have kind of pending at the moment. The second option here, number 10, is Arcadia Quest, which oddly enough, somehow did not back quite as highly as Joan of Arc, despite the fact there's been like six of these. And I have all of them, of course. Um, (laughs) So specifically, Arcadia Quest Inferno raised the most, I believe, with 1.7 million. But there's been five or six different campaigns now. And it's just miniature goodness, little chibi miniatures going into a dungeon, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I love these games. I really enjoy playing them. I haven't had nearly enough time to play them. And I feel like a lot of other games... Well, this wasn't the first one. I think Super Dungeon was the first. This one kind of just blew it open for others to kind of take advantage of the chibi, simple IP-stealing approach to uh, dungeon crawlers. So I'm going to go with Arcadia Quest. I think what stands out for both of these, and it's ironic that you put them both together on the bracket here, is both of these are about their giant dragon miniatures. Mm. And this was the campaign when arcadia quest where it was always a fine game and it really had some interesting combos as far as putting the characters together but the miniatures never went beyond the kind of small generic kind of characters and this one kind of blew it out with its different dragons and that really kind of made it stand apart now obviously simon has utilized these chibi miniature kind of design to the ends of the earth (laughs) They have this, I think, the Starcade version. Obviously, there is the most recent Marvel United. So it has had a significant impact. Time of Legends, Joan of Arc, as you mentioned, we see this at a lot of conventions and got a chance to sit down with this game a couple of times. And it really is its own system. It's fantastic. It's it's evocative in so many different ways. It's complex, but it 
really does play well with a lot of different types of gamers, and the miniatures are beyond belief. This is probably the only miniatures game out there that could probably, in a consistent way, compete with Kingdom Death Monster. But as you said, as far as the campaign's gone, Joan of Arc has had all the kinds of problems where Arcadia Quest keeps churning out the miniatures again and again and again without any particular issues. And each of the different campaigns are great and each of the expansions are great. And even just one of the base sets is going to get you a lot of gameplay. So I'm going with Arcadia Quest. All right, Anthony, what do we have up last for our blue bracket? All right. First up, we have number eight, Oath Sworn Into the Deep Wood. This is another, again, big box of miniatures. Guys, <laughs> 1.9 million bucks, 11,000 backers. Um, this was funded last November. And I've heard good things about it from people who've like played preview copies, but again, it hasn't shipped yet. It the idea here is you have like these mystery boxes, giant miniatures that come in through them, and a lot of this is like not through retail distribution. Uh, so a lot of like mystery content coming out here. It's again, it's a big cooperative dungeon crawly type of thing that takes cues from Gloomhaven and twists on it a little bit with the map and. I don't know. You you get the idea, right? Um, number two is Scythe. So <laughs> this is the nine seed, which is crazy to me that it's the nine seed. But I guess as a euro on Kickstarter, making one point eight million, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. So Scythe is at the time was the biggest Kickstarter like traditional board game we'd ever seen, and while a lot of games have surpassed it since, it remains one of the most successful board games of the last five years. It has had a huge impact on the hobby. Um, ironically, it's also the game that made Stonemaier Games decide to go off of Kickstarter because of all the stuff they went through in running this campaign. But it was a huge, huge Kickstarter. We made a big deal out of it because we've been talking about it for years, and it I mean, it has to be the winner here because it, it just it was so big for Euro games in general, and the fact that now we can have Euro games go on to Kickstarter and make half a million dollars, it's because of Scythe. I'm really happy with Kickstarter that it's able to produce all of these different types of games that unfortunately sometimes tend to look like the same type of game. So Oath Sworn Into the Deep Wood looks like many of the other kind of dungeon crawl games. It's interesting to have the mystery boxes, but it's also a little problematic because you are paying for everything without even knowing what's in the campaign now, Scythe kind of blew things out with its artwork, especially its Euro gameplay in a game that looks like an Amerithrash kind of game. You know, you get what you deserve here, and you paid a lot of money for Scythe, and you got a solid game that keeps coming back, and it just gets better with its expansion. So, yes, Scythe will be moving on to the next round. All right, so for our final yellow bracket, Anthony, what do we have up? Number one is Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon. This is a big survival co-op game from, again, Awakened Realms, which might actually beat out Simon for the number of games on this list. I didn't even realize how many they had, but they have a lot. And it's based on Arthurian legends, but kind of a twisted, darker version of Arthurian legends. People ate this up. They loved it. It was... Just a tremendous success. I think 4.9 million uh, pounds, actually. So even more dollars. And 
the earlier reviews, I haven't personally played this. I didn't back it, but the people I know who have played it absolutely love it as well. It's a big adventure game. It has campaign uh, elements to it. Of course, big, like, spiral-bound campaign notebook. It's along the lines of a lot of other stuff, but kind of pushing things forward in terms of what you can actually do in an adventure game in terms of narrative. It's very, very, very focused on narrative. Lots and lots of story content a mobile companion app, a digital disc to kind of walk you through all these different things. It, it just really takes it to the next level. Um, the second option here at number 16 is Sleeping Gods from Ryan Lockett. This is the newest game from Lockett Games. And we've talked a lot about Lockett Games in the past because they're all generally very good. Um, designed by Ryan Lockett, illustrated by Ryan Lockett, often just unique, interesting story slash Euro type of mechanics all mixed together. And this game has not shipped yet. Neither of these games have shipped yet um, for the most part. I think Tana Grail is mostly out to backers, but not in retail at all. And for that end, like we obviously don't have a chance to tell you what we think personally, if these are good or bad or whatever they might be. But um, Ryan has done a lot of games on Kickstarter. Awakened Realms has done a lot of kick- games on Kickstarter. I think in this case, Tana Grail, just because of how the sheer volume of people who backed it and how much content went out is going to have a bigger impact overall, but Ryan's games are fantastic. So I just wanted to give him a special shout out there. Yeah, it's really hard. You mentioned that both these games are all about the story here. And it seems like clearly that Awaken Realms is getting better each and every campaign they do. And Tainted Grail is an interesting take on the Arthurian legend what does stand out for me, though, is, as you mentioned, Ryan Lockett does great job with his games. All of the games are uniquely his, and they do have a lot of similarities as far as that's concerned. The one thing that stands out for me is, while I'm a big fan of Ryan Lockett's games, you don't often see them at the table as much. Sleeping Gods, everyone's talking about it. And it's something that when you look at Kickstarter and you look at a game having an impact it's typically because someone has a love and passion for it. So I'm going to go with Sleeping Gods here, Anthony. What do our listeners have to say? All right. Yeah, this was actually pretty close. Uh, I guess it speaks more to like who our listeners are and what kind of games they like. Um, they did lean a bit towards Tainted Grail, and that's probably just the volume thing because uh, of how many people back that. But a lot of interest for Sleeping Gods out there. All right. So Tainted Grail moves on to the next round. Anthony, what do we have up next? Next up, we got Batman Gotham City Chronicles uh, from Monolith Board Games. This is a reskin of Conan, which we both played and really liked. Uh, Batman was a much bigger, broader, more complicated implementation of that. There was also a second edition that launched a couple of months after the first uh, kind of, I guess they called it a season two, uh, but just more content, right? Uh, number 15 up against it is Brass, Birmingham, and Lancashire, the re implementations of the original brass uh from roxley games and i own both of these i actually backed batman and i did not back brass when it came out but i've later picked it up but for me the the winner has to be brass brass birmingham is now number four all time on the bgg list um it is just a straight up better game than brass which is also just a fantastic game the original brass but it got overlooked because it just looked bad. It had a few funky little mechanics in it. Um, This Kickstarter just absolutely overhauled everything. And 
to the point now that we're seeing a lot of Euro games coming back through Kickstarter with new artwork, with updated mechanics, with new designers involved, some stretch goals to bring them back to the masses in a way that we had not seen before. And it really, I think Brass is what did that. So for me, Brass Birmingham has had a way bigger impact and uh, definitely deserves to be on here. Does Batman know you're not voting for his game? Yeah, Batman knows I haven't played his game. So (laughs) (laughs) that rule book is 80 pages long. I don't know what they're doing over there. (laughs) Yeah, I think when Batman came out, it was a phenomenon. I mean, the miniatures in this campaign are beyond belief. The detail, the campaigns, the Conan kind of background information that, you know, when you just got the game to the table, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Conan, yeah. And yet, because of the overwhelming complexity of the Kickstarter campaign, all of the things I just mentioned, the game just came to a stretching halt when it hit the table and it just did not come out. So while I do believe it had a bigger initial impact in the industry, I think at the table, the campaign just fell apart. Whereas Brass, quite the opposite, this did not seem to have the impact, at least initially, with the exception of those iron iron clay uh, chips. And yet, the game is everywhere. And it doesn't even matter if you're a heavy Euro game player. This was something that you wanted to try out. This was something you wanted to get to the table. And the Birmingham version of the game is even better. So yeah, Brass moves on to the next round. Anthony, what's up next? All right, we got a Simon showdown. We got Bloodborne, the card game, and Marvel United. Both games are from Simon. Both are based on IPs. Neither game has shipped yet. So, <laughs> which one has a bigger impact? Um, so, you can kind of tell the difference here in how Simon has been performing just as a company. We have Bloodborne, which ran about a year ago, made $4 million, and that's a very good IP from a software PlayStation. Very, very good game, but just a ton of money. Uh, I know Eric Lang, of course, involved there. But then you jump forward to Marvel United. It's Marvel, right? You think, oh, this game's going to make tons of money. And it made $2.8 million, which is their best Kickstarter since last year. But Bloodborne, you know, outperformed it by almost 40%. So do people like Bloodborne more? Do they like Marvel more? It's hard to say. I think it just might be Simon is in a little bit of a tougher spot lately because of their, you know, just general performance overall as a company. I have not played either of these games. I think Bloodborne looks more interesting mechanically. I think Marvel looks more interesting aesthetically. I know people who've backed Bloodborne who are just really super on board with it. I personally have backed Marvel. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but there was so much stuff guys (laughs) um so in terms of influence i i guess marvel because it beat me down but (laughs) i don't i don't know i'm just that's my tiebreaker on this one is the game that beat me down (laughs) it's it's the one that gets my vote it's all right anthony i i actually ended up backing it too (laughs) oh no (laughs) you know the funny thing was that I knew when the campaign was coming to an end. So I was like, oh, when the campaign comes to an end, I'll see how much it did because this became a running gag for us. And then they had some issue with their Kickstarter campaign. So the game was allowed to 
continue to be backed for another hour. So when I logged onto my phone, it was like, oh, there's eight minutes left to back this. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was like, it was like literally a trap. And it was like down to a minute. And I was like, ah. And then I was like, you know what? This is going to be really funny if I end up backing this. And that was the straw. <laughs> that actually, Marvel United, again, it's all about Arcadia Quest, but with a Marvel IP on it. And I know it's terrible. And God forgive me for this, but. Yeah, Marvel United moves on to the next round. <laughs> Michael's screaming at the phone right now. He's like, no, you guys suck. Oh, man. Like when I backed it, too, I was like, everybody's going to see this because a bunch of people follow me on Kickstarter and they're all just going to scream at their phones and click. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun. That's why it's acquisition disorders. All right, Anthony, what's up next? Next up, we got... Conan from Monolith Board Games, the one Batman was based on. And then we have Tech, a beautiful game from Cheap Ass Games. This is actually based on an abstract game from the books of Patrick Rothfuss in his The Wise Man's Fear. So it's it's a really obscure reference. If you haven't read the book, it's uh, just a fantastic series of fantasy novels, but there's only two out of the trilogy completed at this point. He's been working on it for like two decades at this point. But the abstract strategy game that came out of it made $1.3 million in Kickstarter. And then we have, of course, Conan, which is a behemoth that has run three Kickstarters now. I think they have a third one launching like right now. The first one, $3.3 million. And again, people love this. Uh, it's really fantastic spin on the Overlord system in a one versus many uh, board game. And personally... I honestly was very surprised that I liked it when I first played it, which is why I backed Batman. So for me, I think Conan is definitely the winner here, even though tech, I have to give props just because I love the novels that it comes from, but Conan has influenced a lot of other games. Yeah. Conan did something that I didn't think was possible when it came out on Kickstarter, which was it, it really created a roar in the industry. I mean, people were talking about this game, who weren't even miniatures gamers. And again, it was one of those situations where it was like, oh, cool, another giant box of miniatures here. But it actually had really significant gameplay and the elements weren't overdone. They were kind of more or less tasteful for its universe. And again, the gameplay was fantastic. I mean, so much so that they they carried it over to Batman. So yeah, it's it's got to be Conan. I, I, it's... It's just a phenomenal in the industry. All right, Anthony, what's up next? Number five, Fireball Island versus number 12, Deep Madness. So Fireball Island from Restoration Games. Uh, this is like the first mega hit from these guys. It brings back, obviously, a 1980s classic. And honestly, as an owner of this game, because it's one I played as a kid and I thought, oh, my kids will love this. It's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know. And everybody I've talked to gives a similar review. of It's fine. It's not bad, but it's fine. It doesn't like, there's not much to the original game to make that much better, right? It's marbles rolling around and knocking people over. It's, it's what it is. It's Fireball Island. But the impact it's had is that it allowed a game like the Dark Tower to exist, right? They would not have run a Kickstarter. They wouldn't even have developed that game if this one had not made almost $3 million on Kickstarter because... This shows 
how strong nostalgia is and how much people are willing to pay for that old stuff. Deep Madness from Dimension Games. Uh, it's a cooperative game, one to six players, lots of miniatures, sci-fi horror world, some Lovecraftian stuff in there. It's, I'm not going to describe it. It's just another one of these games, right? It's just miniatures in a box. Woo! I don't know that's had a ton of influence. I think it like builds off the influence of other games. Whereas Fireball Island just blew open the possibilities of nostalgia on Kickstarter. And we're seeing the results of that now. So this one has had a bigger impact. Whether the game is good or not, I mean, it's good. Is it great? Not really. Is it worth this much money? Probably not. But it has certainly had a huge impact. I think your it's fine, it's fine is your most devastating burn to a board game. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> a lot of money for it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, both these games haven't had a significant impact. Fireball Island, as you mentioned, did so for restoration games because it kind of you know is proof of concept that they could take a game that you loved as a child build it up just enough that you might like it a little bit more and yet not lose any of the original gameplay so they accomplished something that a lot of people try to do over the years and were not able to do so so for that alone fireball island moves on to the next round anthony what's up next all right, next up, we got a couple games you may not have heard of, because I hadn't. Uh, Midara Unintentional Malum, the complete trilogy. <laughs> so this is a adventure game, but an JRPG adventure game. It is a trilogy of different adventure games. There was an original Kickstarter back in the day for the core game, which was like 90 hours of content or so. Uh, and then you have the trilogy, which adds another 80 hours to the whole thing. And this is very heavily inspired by JRPGs. If you played like the old school, like just heavily Japanese style, like Final Fantasies or uh, Personas, those types of games, this is what this is. Um, you'll very much recognize it when you hop, in, hop into the campaign page. Lots and lots of miniatures, lots and lots of artwork. End of the day, it's just an adventure game, but with a lot of story content built in. So if you love anime, this is your kind of game. The other game is Trudvong Chronicles. This is uh, a game that Riot Minds put up, and then I believe Simon picked up at some point as well, in some form, and it made a fair amount of money as well. Uh, the original campaign ran in 2016 and ran again recently uh, for the Simon version. And it's very, very heavily story based. So the original campaign was, uh, you know, all these books and PDFs for like basically an RPG system. Newer version is like a story based board game system. Basically, it's like this Nordic style approach to tabletop tropes that you're used to. So goblins and dwarves and all that, uh, but in a kind of a Nordic setting. Neither of these, honestly, have I heard really anything about before. Um, Midara has a huge following. A lot of people super interested in it. The JRPG thing I'm mildly familiar with from like level 99 games. A lot of their games have that kind of thematic thrown onto it. So I'm going to lean towards that. Uh, I'm going to pick Midara as my pick out of these two, just because of I feel like JRPG huge impact back in the 90s early 2000s in terms of video games not a huge impact in board games so far except for level 99 so i feel like this one could have that kind of impact but definitely an interesting matchup yeah as you mentioned these both are games that 
I'm glad that the people who love them have them, but I have yet to see either of these at a convention, at a table, or anyone mention them. And you and I scour Kickstarter all the time, so I'm surprised this hasn't come up a little bit more. You know, these are both very much the same type of idea, but yet obviously very different from their artwork and their storytelling situation here. Uh, you know, Anthony, I just the artwork stands out for me a little bit more in Trudavra. Can you tell us what our listeners think? All right. Yeah. So the listeners on this one, um, even though Madara has a six seed, I feel like it's very niche and maybe our listeners are not in that niche. So Trudvon Chronicles does pull the listeners by a little bit. All right, so it moves on to the next round. Anthony, what do we have up next? Unstable Unicorns. So we talked about kind of the follow-up to this earlier. Uh, this is the original Unstable Unicorns. It is, of course, a party game uh, with all sorts of backing options, all the way up to like $199 for all the content in the most recent Kickstarter, um, which made like over $2 million. The other game here in the number 10 seed in the yellow bracket is a song of ice and fire tabletop miniatures game from Simon games. This is Simon's attempt to do the games workshop thing with a full on uh, tabletop miniatures system. And this was a way to get in on all of it. They're still releasing content from this. Honestly, it is a very simplified version of it, but it was 150 bucks for the core box. Very expensive overall. The number of backers on this was relatively low for a Simon game, uh, about 9,000, but it did make 1.6 million. Unstable Unicorns made 2 million from 22,000 backers. I have, I do have a copy of A Song of Ice and Fire, have had a chance to play it. It's a very good take on miniatures games, but I've yet to see anybody else playing it, any organized play anywhere near me. Unstable Unicorns, I've not seen in the wild at all. So, um, because we've had a couple of games that were influenced by this company, I'm going to go with Unstable Unicorns just because I feel like it has kind of opened things up and brought other kind of party games like it to uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, this is a hard one, too. I mean, both these games have been had a relatively big impact in the industry. You know, Song of Ice and Fire was a, a mitigated failure in the end. It just didn't do what Simon needed to do and just really kind of cut into the company. But the game itself was relatively good. You mentioned Unstable Unicorns, obviously being a party game that a lot of people got to the table and really did enjoy. Both of these games did what they needed to do for their fans and didn't seem to do anything for anyone else out there in the industry. Anthony, I'm going to go with the Song of Ice and Fire just because back in the day there was a thing called game of thrones that we all did love and care about and this game did a relatively good job of kind of connecting us back to that so what do our listeners have to say yeah i think our listeners are are with you on this one and maybe just kind of guessing at what we would like uh in terms of like game of thrones versus a party game uh so a song of ice and fire it is all right and finally, Anthony, in our yellow bracket and the end of the 64 for today, what do we have up? We have Hellboy, the board game from Mantic Games, and we have Suburbia Collector's Edition from Bezier Games. So both these games made about 1.8-ish million, um, 1.7 to 1.8. Uh, Hellboy was one of those games that I saw up and I thought, oh, it's an IP and people will like it and they'll kind of do well. 
And it did even better than well. It jumped into the, again, top 30, 40 or so uh, board game Kickstarters of all time. Miniatures are very high quality, as Mantic is known for. And the gameplay is apparently quite good. Um, Very much based on the comic books versus the movies, which is great because the movies have been, while good, a little bit all over the place, especially with the new one out there in the wild. And the artwork from the, again, the comics by Mike Mignon, very good stuff. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I have not had a chance to play it, but it does a good job, I think, of bringing like comic realistic version of Hellboy to a board game. Suburbia Collector's Edition was just a really expensive, expensive version of Suburbia with all the stuff you already have, plus like one small expansion, of which, of course, I backed at like the ultimate level, because why would I not do that? I can't say this was the first game to do that. A lot of games went up last year. Uh, I backed this. I backed Snowdonia Collector's Edition, the Tricarion Collector's Edition. This is just kind of thing everybody's doing right now. And it's kind of coming out of almost like a group think where like nobody did it first to prove it. They're just all doing it. So I can't say Suburbia is influential in that way because other games are also doing it. Um, so in this case, I'm going to lean for Hellboy just because I feel like it's a really cool comic book approach to a very popular IP. And I appreciate it a lot. I didn't catch it at the time, but I wish I had. Yeah, Hellboy does a very nice job of depicting its universe, as you mentioned, using the comic book version, which is definitely a lot more iconic and dark compared to the the movies that are out there, although the movies were decent. But, you know, for me, Suburbia did one of those things that, you know, we've come to know and love and yet hate at the same time about Kickstarter was it went completely bonkers. I mean, the idea that the game had literally every color in the rainbow And then another 600 colors that you could back at its ultimate edition. And it had every little bit upgraded to the ump degree is insane, especially for a Euro game. But they did it. And there are several people out there in my game group who have this. And because of its overwrought nature and its incredible, wondrous beautiful opulence it just has not gotten to the table because it's just too big and yet at the same time it's a fantastic game so yeah i'm gonna go suburbia anthony let's leave it up to the fans what do they have to say oh they love suburbia the fans probably also back this like i did and it's also sitting on their shelves and they're like yeah we got to play this sometime (laughs) all right well suburbia moves on to the next round and that is it For our first round of 64 down to 32, we will be back next week to whittle it down even further and bring you eventually the winner for the greatest Kickstarter campaign of all time. Until next week, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. 